The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. Hello, you are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with your word for today on this memorial of the most holy name of Mary. Um, and let's begin with the uh, the gospel of today, which is from uh, Luke chapter 6. Jesus went out into the hills to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, he summoned his disciples and picked out twelve of them. He called them apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He then came down with them and stopped at a piece of level ground where there was a large gathering of his disciples, with a great crowd of people from all parts of Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. People tormented by unclean spirits were also cured, and everyone in the crowd was trying to touch him, because power came out of him that cured them all. Previously, when I have reflected on the name of Mary, I focused on the fact that her name does not change at some pivotal moment in her life. This is in contrast to Simon, who becomes Simon Peter, the rock Petros, on whom Jesus will build his church, Paul, who was previously Saul, Abraham and Sarah, who were Abraham and Sarah, the change of name is significant in the lives of each of these because names are significant. And at the deepest level of significance, to know the name of something or someone is not simply to know what they're called, but to know who or what they are. That's why when Adam names the animals in Genesis, he's not only being bestowed with a great responsibility, but also in knowing and naming them, he realises that there is none like him. And I think it's significant that there is no change in the name of Mary at the moment of the Annunciation, what we might view as the pivotal moment of her life. There's no, henceforth you shall be known as. And this is important because it shows that Mary's yes isn't so much a, a pivot point as an intensification of a yes, a yes that was in keeping with the whole tenor of her life. Whilst our yes might sometimes be more stuttering or more of a noasis, definitely, maybe, Mary's yes was continual and we're, caused, and we're called to 
make our stuttering yeses ever more conform to her constant yes. I've been thinking about names a lot uh, lately, as I've been reading a lot of Tolkien and a lot about Tolkien, and he took names very seriously. The names in The Lord of the Rings and throughout Middle-earth are not simply made up. They are in keeping with the whole set of languages that Tolkien invented, and the names had a meaning, and he did not think they were arbitrary. And in fact, in many ways for Tolkien, names and words came first, and then he sought a story for the language. In a certain way, he incarnated the word. Just as as Christians we believe in the primacy of the word that was God and that came to dwell among us, and that God speaks creation into being, and we believe that our words are only true insofar, insofar as they conform to reality, that is, participate in God's creation. Whilst Mary might have only one name then, there are nonetheless many things that we can say about her. But before speaking of her qualities, we might first say something about the meaning of her name. Now, this is not entirely straightforward, and some point to an Egyptian origin of the name which creates a little more confusion, but here are some of the things I learned in a little research. First of all, the Hebrew form of Mary is Miriam. Now, that much I did know, but not that some biblical scholars have seen in it the Hebrew words ma meaning bitter and yam meaning sea. And so this first meaning can refer to Mary's bitter suffering at the cross and her many tears of sorrow. A sea of tears at the bitterness of the cross, if you like. Another interpretation of the word ma renders Mary's name to mean drop of the sea, and St. Jerome rendered it in Latin as stilla maris, which was later turned to stella, star maris, and so this accounts for a popular title of Mary as star of the sea. Mariners at the time were accustomed to looking to the stars to find guidance and to discern which direction they were going. And so calling Mary Stella Maris referred to Mary's ability to guide sinners along the path to her son and to life in eternity. Yet another rendering of Miriam focuses on the Hebrew word Mari and sees in it the word mistress or lady, thus making Mary lady of the sea. And as I've learned in the course of reading, excuse me, <coughs> As I learned in the course of reading Holly Ordway's latest book, Tolkien's Faith, whilst Tolkien was on the front lines, he wrote a poem in honour of Mary, which begins with the line, O Lady Mother enthroned amid the stars. And he would give this poem two different titles, Consolatrix Afflictorum and Stella Vespertina. And each of these titles provides a valuable indication of the place of Mary in Tolkien's spirituality. The first is taken directly from the litany of Loretto, which Tolkien commended to his son Christopher as, me as worthy of memorization. 
And it's the litany of Loretto with which we will end our worldwide rosary in London at 3pm on the 7th of October. Do join us in person if you can at the Rosary Shrine, and if not, make sure to tune in on air. But as Ordway points out, it's little surprise that Tolkien on the front line in that terrible war, in the face of such devastation, should turn to Mary as comforter of the afflicted, the one who stayed steady by the cross as others fled. And Tolkien's second title for the poem, Stella Vespertina, is, Ordway tells us, connected to the litany of Loretto, but at one remove. It is Tolkien's own invention and is an intriguing variant of one of the litany's titles for Mary, namely Stella Matutina. But whereas Stella Matutina, as we've said, means morning star, Tolkien's variant means evening star. The morning star is, astronomically speaking, the planet Venus, visible just before sunrise, it heralds the rising sun, and its Christian symbolism is rich and complex. In the litany of Loretto, Mary is the morning star because Christ is traditionally symbolised by the sun, and therefore his mother Mary, who brought him into the world at the nativity, is associated with the morning star, a lesser light that indicates the imminent arrival of the greater light. Tolkien was interested in and knowledgeable about astronomy and would have known that Venus is also called the evening star since it becomes visible in the east, since it becomes visible in the western sky after sunset as well as in the eastern sky before sunrise. And these celestial appearances, Ordway suggests, would have become weighted with deep emotional and spiritual significance once he began to serve on the front line of the Great War. Because soldiers were required to stand to at dawn and dusk each day. And as the historian Paul Fussell explains, stand to was a solemn moment. Twice a day, everyone stared silently across the wasteland at the enemy's hiding places and considered how to act if a field grey line suddenly appeared and grew larger and larger through the mist and the half-light. The military routines of standing to arms in combat readiness at daybreak and nightfall were, as Fussell notes, the occasions when the sky especially offered itself for observation and interpretation, and they were also moments of heightened ritual anxiety, all the more cruelly wrenching in contrast with the prevailing literary conceit of dawn and dusk as images of peace and tranquility. Tolkien's adaptation of the litany to address Mary as Stella Vespertina as opposed to Stella Matutina is thus both astronomically and theologically apt, all the more so when we consider that other title, Consolatrix Afflictorum, Consoler of the Afflicted. The image of Mary as the evening star invites us to consider how she is visible when the sun, her sun, has disappeared beyond the horizon. Christ may have died, but his mother is still present, 
consoling those who, like her, mourn his loss. And so Ordway concludes in the nightmarish situation of the trenches, with the problem of evil and suffering all too present. This is a powerful image of faith as experienced, or at least as hoped for in darkness. And so let's listen now to Mary the Dawn, sung by the Cathedral Singers. (laughs) 